You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. On this week's podcast, we dissect the World Cup. It's less than three weeks away and we dive deep into the latest stories in regards to Qatar 2022. My name is Christopher Harris and I'm joined today by a special uh, guest co-host, Kyle Fansler. Kyle, welcome back. It's been a while. Good to be back, Chris. And like you mentioned, World Cup now two weeks away about but i gotta say it doesn't really feel like it's two weeks away i can't tell if it feels like it's closer than that farther than that i don't know it's a weird time in the soccer world yeah we'll we'll definitely get into that in a little bit too and and kyle i know that uh we've we've had some emails come through from listeners saying like hey what happened to kyle well kyle you've been you and i have been busy for the past 12 months really non-stop uh, getting ready for the World Cup, writing a lot of articles, working with our different writers, doing research, doing interviews. You I mean getting everything ready for the World Cup, and it, and like you said too, uh, it's just over two weeks away from as we're recording this. Um, it doesn't seem it, the, the fever's not here yet. And, and what 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 about you, Kyle? What have you experienced in previous World Cups, whether it's 2018, 2014, etc. Did you sense like kind of with talking to friends or family members that like, kind of a buzz or an energy or or a World Cup fever in, in previous uh, tournaments? I feel like the World Cup fever for me always came from the fact that we had um, a month or two months between the club season and the World Cup, and obviously we had you know a couple friendlies here and there to get you quote unquote ready for the World Cup. It was more so for the players here ready for the World Cup, but you get the point. And we don't have that, obviously, this year. We have two weeks. We have less than two weeks. We have about a week between when fixtures stop with the club schedule and that first game kicks off in Qatar on the twentieth. And some nations have friendlies between that little short span of time. So I don't have that fever. I'm hoping I develop that fever. There's a lot that's going on with this World Cup in particular that you know everyone knows about, the human rights stuff, everything. Everything that's gone wrong with this World Cup has gone wrong. So no, I don't have that fever. Like I said, I hope to get it. 
Um, and like you said, Chris, yeah, it has been a busy time for us, but it's been an exciting time. Everything from talking about those human rights allegations, uh, everything, including traveling to Qatar, trying to get at the at the small country to watch the World Cup. It's been a busy time, but it's been an exciting time, and it has kind of built up my own personal fever for the World Cup. But, you know, I can't stress it enough. I do hope that it, it continues expanding because I it doesn't really feel like a World Cup, even though it is so close. Yeah, I have the fever, but the fever I'm I'm distracted, right? It's it's still club season. I mean, this weekend's the MLS Cup final. Uh so that that season's wrapping up, but for the European seasons, I mean, it breaks on November 13th, and like we've said too is that uh that's the final day to get the the squad rosters into FIFA and managers from around the world, national team managers will be watching those games on that final day of the season. Games from, I mean, Germany, Italy, England, Spain, etc. Uh, basically, keeping their fingers crossed and and praying that their star players do not get injured in in those games. And we've seen just in the last couple of weeks too, we've seen a lot of players pick up injuries. Uh, Weston McKinney, who's out uh, for a couple of weeks, he may be back in time. For that first game against Wales, although I'm, I'm not so sure about that, uh, Timo Werner uh, is out for Germany. Uh, there's talks, talks about uh, uh, Giovanni uh, Lo Celso possibly being out for Argentina, Christian Romero for Argentina, and and that's and that's. I mean, we've still got a couple of weeks to go, so that that is a concern. So I do have the fever, but like I said too, I'm distracted because I'm still watching the club game. Um, we've got some good questions up in our list of mailbag about um, whether managers may take the foot off the pedal a little, little bit or whether players may, in that final couple of weeks, try to slow down. We'll get into that in the mailbag. But yeah, for me, it's it's almost like the worst World Cup imaginable. You've got the world's biggest competition sandwiched in between the middle of, of the club soccer seasons. It's being played in the desert in a country with a long list of human rights abuses. And according to many of the journalists out there, FIFA officials were bribed to give Qatar the rights to host this World Cup. Uh, so not only that, but then you've got, like you've mentioned, Kyle, players playing basically up until about a week before the tournament starts. Then you've got travel time. And then you've you've got time for them to settle in with a squad. But settling in with a squad and doing training for some teams is going to be five to six days. I mean, the United States uh, and England and Wales and Iran, they play uh, on the second day of the competition on the 21st. So it gives them about, about six days possibly of training max. I mean, you have to factor in I mean, jet lag, travel time from leaving wherever they are. Uh, around the world to get to Qatar and, and get ready. So it's it's interesting, Kyle, because you and I have been working on this quite a bit for this past week. So we've been we've reached out to a, a lot of our colleagues at um, ESPN, Fox Sports, uh, BN Sports, NBC Sports, like all all the different broadcasters. Uh, and we've got a story that's going to be running next week on WorldSoccerTalk.com that's going to talk about their predictions. There are predictions for who will advance from each of these different groups through to the knockout stages. And on paper, it makes a lot of sense. But in reality, I just wonder, in terms of this being a really wild and weird World Cup in terms of all these different factors playing into it, 
Um, and we haven't even gotten to all the off off the field uh, issues and controversies yet. But I just wonder if these things will have a, an impact on the World Cup and may result in some shock results, some results that we would never thought imagine, uh, imaginable because or imaginable just because. Um, I mean, we don't know if these players will be ready, will be fit, and will be in the in the mindset of playing a World Cup, which is, I mean, the biggest tournament of their lives. Yeah, I I can't stress enough the fact that these injuries and everything else that's happening before the World Cup changes the actual tournament. I'm just scanning at the results that we had. Like you mentioned, we pulled a bunch of uh, a bunch of members of the media about their prediction for the World Cup, and I'm just scanning it. And I can't think about all these major names that aren't going to be playing at the World Cup or may not be playing at the World Cup. For example, you mentioned Uruguay's Ronald Araujo, who is a major key with Barcelona and the national team. Uh, he's looking quite doubtful to be at the World Cup. Uh, how about uh, Son Heung-min, just injured in the Champions League game this past week. And now he's having a surgery on his his uh, his, his pretty much his head. Um, and he's looking maybe doubtful to be at the World Cup. So... I'm just looking at these predictions and the the little things, the, the injuries to key players that can have an impact on the World Cup. It's uh, it's it's pretty crazy just because like we've talked about it already. You know the the little break, the very tiny little break between club season and the World Cup is not providing any of that time that players can use to get healthy, get back to fitness, really gel with their national team teammates. It's just it's throwing well, a lot of wrenches in the plan. Yeah, well, that's the big thing, though, too. In previous World Cups, there have been injuries. There have been players that have been out of you know, the first couple of games, and it was a rush to get them ready. So whether it's Wayne Rooney kind of famously kind of having a you know, metatarsal injury and then being rushed to try to get ready for the World Cup, and uh, you know, whether it's Rhys James for this World Cup in England uh, and Chelsea injured but hoping to be back in time. But normally, in a normal World Cup cycle, you would have a month, a good month, um, but at the end of, of the club season, a month before the tournament begins. And then that, that period, of ta- period of time is enough time for some players who are injured to get fully fit uh, not, uh, and, and injury-free and ready for the competition. This one with a week is, is just insane. It, it's just nuts. And so, I don't know. I mean, we won't know until a couple of weeks from now when the tournament's getting ready to start how strong these teams are um and it's i mean for some players i think they'll be able to adapt pretty easily going from that club kind of mindset i mean and flipping to the national team mindset um but it's not going to be a lot of time to to actually train these guys uh thierry Henry, i think this week on uh, cbs sports is coverage of the champions league as as an assistant manager at Belgium was talking about that. He's like, "Hey, we just don't have enough time with the players. I mean, this is this is nuts." So I think I do um, think it's interesting. Sorry, Chris. That uh, I remember one of the parts that FIFA and the whole World Cup committee said would be a positive about having the World Cup in November and December was even though there is this short break, players will still be 
you know, kind of in their momentum, finding their rhythm. It's not something that they would lose for a month before the World Cup and then have to pick it up out of nowhere. But then I, that gets me thinking about it even more. You get players like Cristiano Ronaldo, right? He's the backbone of Portugal, has been for decade, two maybe, and he's out of form, out of favor with Eric Ten Hag at Manchester United. How does he go into the World Cup? And it just brings a whole another layer into the World Cup and the, these big-name players, Ronaldo, Messi, Son Heung-min, Harry Kane, that kind of thing. How do they go from playing at the club level, performing with their team, and then going up, going to the national team stage? Yeah, the other thing with this, though, too, and, and Kartik, um, Kartik, sorry, Kyle, you you would know this better than I would, for sure. But, you know, I mean, this tournament, this World Cup tournament is slam bang right in the middle of, you mean, you got college football going on, you got NFL football on. Uh, you got the World Series right now, but but you mean NFL football? NFL is king in this country, and sometimes I don't kind of feel the power or how big the NFL is because I avoid it at all costs. I don't watch any of the games. I'm not interested in NFL. Um, but our our listeners and 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 Kyle, of course, and, and you too. I mean, NFL is a big competition. So you've got the World Cup, the biggest tournament in the world going essentially head-to-head with NFL. So you've got weekdays, that's not an issue, right? But weekdays for whether you're Fox or Telemundo, the games are from 5 a.m. in the morning till 4 p.m. in the afternoon. So for most people, that's during office hours. For most people, it's easy to ignore if you're not a soccer fan. You're not really going to be uh, coming into touch into touch with it uh, unless you seek it, uh, seek, seek it out. Um, of course, there's the USA games that'll pull a lot of the, kind of the mainstream audience in. Now, the weekends, you mean 5 a.m. still, yes, yeah, that's early Eastern time to 4 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. Now, 4 p.m. Eastern time, you mean a game ending at that time, it's, it's a good time. However, you mean, again, college football on Saturdays, NFL on Sundays. It's like, how does this World Cup even try to, you mean, be relevant? Or, or compete against the NFL and college football. And Kyle, do you think there's a way? Do you think there's a way that that the World Cup can filter through and reach uh, mainstream America? Compared to the NFL and college football, it's always going to be hard. But I'm just peeking at the, the TV schedule. And you know I've had a lot of work with that and just kind of laying out commentator schedules, that kind of thing. And every game, practically at least, you know, generally speaking broadly, is on either Fox or on Fox and Telemundo, but then you get to those Saturdays and you get to those Sundays, uh, Sundays in particular, and Fox moves these games over to FS1. And obviously, FS1 is not going to pull in as many viewers as Fox. It's not over the air, that kind of thing. And I just think it's interesting because Fox is not really trying to have these two compete. I think they're they prioritize the football because they know that the American public in general will always want to watch the NFL compared to soccer, even if it is the World Cup. And even if the U.S. is playing, they're going to put that on Fox because that will draw in millions and millions of viewers. So I don't see a way, personally, that soccer, at least the World Cup, in this specific iteration, can compete with the with football. And that's going back to how much uh, publication, how much media work Fox has done for the World Cup. I watch, you know, I watch a lot of NFL, and I watch all the games on Fox and CBS, NBC, ESPN. But Fox in particular, you don't see them really advertising for the World Cup, even though we are here just about two weeks away from the World Cup starting. You don't see those media campaigns. And obviously you and I see them because we're in that soccer world. But I'm thinking about if you're just a, an average Joe 
from the, somewhere in the middle of the United States watching football, you don't see those ads that says, hey, World Cup starting in a couple weeks. Make sure to watch it. It's going to be on pretty much every day in the morning. You can watch it here on Fox, FS1, you name it. Yeah, I think for Telemundo, Telemundo has a much greater opportunity and, and, and a big benefit in that, I mean, whether it's, I mean, their audience mostly would be interested in watching the, the Spanish-speaking countries performing in, in this uh, World Cup. So whether it's Mexico, of course, but Argentina, I mean, um, Brazil, of course, um, I mean, Costa Rica to a certain extent, but you go you go down the list of, of uh, Conmo Ball countries, um, and some of the CONCACAF countries uh, competing in this tournament. And that audience is going to, I, I believe, uh, prioritize the World Cup, over Copa Mundial, over NFL to a certain extent. There will be some bilinguals that may uh, kind of switch back and forth. But Fox has got a difficult job. I mean, it, it is... It is, like you said, uh, Kyle, it is the, the NFL crowd. And I think in some ways, we, maybe because we haven't seen much advertising from Fox, uh, their, their ads with John Hamm, is maybe because they think that uh, people are going to be so focused on the NFL that, I mean, the only way for Fox, I think, really to break through uh, on that weekend's you mean those Saturdays or Sundays and make people think about, okay, do I watch NFL or do I watch the World Cup? Um, and same with uh, the actual college football too versus the World Cup, is if the U.S. does well, right? If the U.S. beats Wales in the opening game, plays against England, which is going to be a massive game on Black Friday, uh, and either wins that game or ties that game, but but has enough points to, to kind of take a, a breather against um, uh, Iran in that final game and, and then think, okay, all right, USA will be able to advance and then, and then who knows, right? It's it's the, the the knockout stages, it's quarterfinals, it's you mean th- then people start to pay attention, and a lot of it depends on which group. I mean, if they end up in first or second in the group, and which games they play. But that that's the only way I think that we can see this World Cup breaking through the English language mainstream American audience. Because otherwise, I think it's going to be you and I will tune in to watch the World Cup games. I mean, for, for work and pleasure, uh, our listeners, many of our listeners will, will, will too. Our audience is mostly hardcore soccer fans, so I think we're, we're we are already the, the converted. However, the unconverted out there, this is going to be really difficult. So, you mean so maybe maybe that's why Fox is pulling back, not doing so much advertising, because they're trying to kind of keep costs down, thinking that hey, let's see how it goes, let's play this out, because really. The prize at the end of, of the uh, the rainbow, so to speak, is 2026, is, is that World Cup, where it's going to be hosted in North America. The the game times will be much more favorable. It'll be during the summer. All the things that are going to be pointing in the right direction is going to be uh, working for Fox at that time and, and for Telemundo too, of course. Yeah, yeah, Chris, I like what you mentioned about that general crowd. Because I have friends that don't watch soccer, but they're in that that contingent that says, hey, I watched the World Cup, so I'm a U.S. fan. Like, sure, eh, whatever. I don't care if you watch soccer. Obviously, I encourage you to watch it, but sure, watch the World Cup. They're not going to want to watch, say, uh, Japan versus Germany 
on Sunday at 2 when their favorite football team and their fancy football players are all playing at the same time. That's gonna The World Cup's going to be maybe third, maybe fourth in their mind in terms of prioritizing what to watch. So I think you're spot on with how well the U.S. does impacts how well Fox does because they'll watch the U.S. because that's their hometown team, always root for the hometown team. But they're not going to want to watch these other nations, especially the, the smaller, less popular soccer nations that are in the World Cup. But again, like the if the U.S. goes far, then that's more general public that will want to watch the World Cup on Fox. Yeah, I think it's difficult because it's one of those things with this World Cup where there's a lot of things playing against it. Like, for example, just the, the scheduling of, of this competition in the wintertime in the middle of the soccer season is, is very difficult. It's, it's not... Uh, a perfect situation for even hardcore soccer fans uh, wanting to go into the World Cup. So so that doesn't work very well either. And then you've got the mainstream audience in the United States that with NFL and college football, and that doesn't work really well either. So so the only way is really is the USA going all the way through and uh, winning as many games as possible and making people stop and say, hey, maybe I should be watching this. And we've seen that before, too, in previous World Cups, especially in the Women's World Cups, where initially interest levels among mainstream America about the U.S. women's national team in in a World Cup is relatively flat. But as that team progresses through the tournament, it builds. And and you see it in kind of the quarterfinals and then the semifinals. And then, and then of course, then the country goes crazy. And then we get to the final. We get some big numbers, like 25 million people watching the U.S. women uh, win the World Cup. So, But that's the women, right? They're a lot better of a team than, than the men are. The men, but like I said before, too, with this being a wild World Cup with anything can happen, this is one of a kind in many ways. So it could open up an opportunity for... Maybe it's the U.S., but maybe it's another team. Maybe it's another underdog that's going to be a shock uh, that can actually uh, come through this tournament and go all the way. Who knows? And win it. We we shall see. All right, let's move on to uh, TV streaming news. We've got a bunch of different news items this week in regards to TV. Uh, first up is that the U.S. men's national team, uh, the roster reveal, the squad reveal, is going to happen uh, next week on Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, on ESPN2 and ESPN+. Plus. And this is going to be right after the Leeds United against Wolverhampton Wanderers League Cup game. Uh, that one is at 2.45 Eastern time. So it's going to be hosted by uh, Kay, Kay uh, Murray. And also, I think uh, it's going to be Jermaine Genus and Taylor Twelman as the analyst there. So, um, again, it's going to be interesting to see what uh, Greg Berhalter picks on this one. Uh, Kyle, <laughs> what do you think? Any any surprises in this squad? Any kind of, whether it's uh, people included that, that uh, you, you might be surprised by or, or uh, somebody that's not picked that you should be picked, that should be picked? Um, I don't think I'm expecting too many surprises in terms of the, the actual squad selection. Um, you know, you'll see your... I thought Greg Bartholter was pretty consistent in terms of his CONCACAF World Cup qualifying with who he brought on. Obviously, injuries will play a big part. I know uh, Anthony Robinson, I think they're saying he should be healthy for the World Cup. So, um, But that's one of those glaringly air, glaring areas for the U.S. men's national team is fullback. Um, so they're kind of relying on Anthony Robinson to be healthy. But like I said, I'm not expecting too many surprises on that front. Really, for me, it's just uh, the actual 11 that Burhalter puts out on the field. Um 
you expect him to bring in goal Matt Turner, Zach Steffen, and then, you know, one of the other players, maybe Sean Johnson, the third-string goalie. But with Matt Turner missing some time with all Arsenal over the last couple of weeks, it, you know, all these U.S. fans kind of on the edge of their seat. Where's Matt Turner? But um, no, no, not expecting too many surprises. At least I, I hope not. I, that'd be weird if we get there and he starts putting out a bunch of different names that have only had <laughs> five or ten caps on the in their career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, th- this time around, too, the squads are bigger for this World Cup than in previous World Cups. So there is that possibility of adding in a surprise or two. I mean, personally speaking, I mean, I'd love to see I'd love to see Tim Ream on this squad, um, given the form that he's had uh, as captain for Fulham in the Premier League now for quite quite some time. It's not just like a couple of weeks of good performances. It's been uh, a couple of years of great, strong performances. But um yeah, I mean, my question mark is about just, uh, again, about that number nine, who's going to be playing in that role. And, uh, I mean, I think it's going to be one of those things we won't know until the first couple of games in the World Cup, I mean, what that answer is, really. Yeah, that's one of those things where everyone has their personal opinion on who they want to see take up that number nine position. I think Jesus Ferreira is probably the only one you can fully expect to be on that squad, but... I think Ricardo Pepe, given that he's 20 years old, I think I think he's a good shot to be on there, just, if anything, for experience's sake. Personally, I'd like to see Daryl DK on that team as well. I think he's done great things in the championship, as well as his time in, in MLS. Uh, that's a player that I think could make a pretty good impact, even if it is coming off the bench with 15 minutes to play or so. Yeah, definitely. Def- definitely. They might be one of those kind of a breakout stars, I think, from mm-hmm. um, from the U.S. in this squad. But who that is, <laughs> who knows? Uh, yep. Moving on, uh, ESPN also, speaking of ESPN, they're going to have a uh, E60 show about Qatar. And this is going to be happening on Sunday, November 6th uh, at 8.30 Eastern Time on ESPN. And it's going to be available on demand via ESPN+. Plus. And it's going to focus on the controversies uh, regarding Qatar. So it's starring um, reporter ESPN, ESPN reporter Jeremy Schapp, who's, um, who's worked with ESPN a lot in the past, a familiar face, uh, a hard-hitting news reporter. And so it'll be interesting to see what his take is and what he finds um, in his travels to Qatar re- reporting back. Uh, it's probably not going to be good news, but we, we shall see on Sunday um, at eight thirty Eastern on ESPN, which is which is a really good um, block of time to show that. I mean, that's uh, that's a Sunday night prime time. And then uh, next up in the news is that Fox Sports for the World Cup have unveiled their studio set that's going to be in Doha uh, near the Corniche, and it's. Uh, it's what they showed and what, what we have pictures of at worldsoccertalk.com is um, kind of computer designs of, of what it's going to look like. And it looks very high tech. It's uh, in a open environment. I think it's next to the fan zone. So there's an opportunity to fans to get uh, close to the actual set. So you'll see them probably in the background when they're, they're fil- filming it. Uh, it's a mix of uh, physical desks. And then some augmented reality. So there's some things that you'll see in the TV broadcast that is actually augmented reality. Um, so whether it's the the pitch that they use within the studio, some of the some of the things are not actually there. It's 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 actually augmented reality, uh, and they'll have a whole bunch of different uh, screens. But it's a multi million dollar set, 
and uh, it looks it looks nice. But let's, let's see let's see uh, how it goes in terms of the actual talent and how they do in terms of uh, covering the World Cup. That's that's a whole other story. And then last but not least, uh, Carl, you went ahead and uh, posted this week the uh, Telemundo commentators for the World Cup, the, the actual schedule, who's going to be calling which game um, of, of the entire tournament. And the thing I, I found really interesting is that Tab Ramos, uh, former U.S. men's national team uh, creative midfielder, played with Manchester City, etc., is going to be... Um, Actually, no, I'm thinking of Claudia Arena. It is going to be uh, an analyst alongside the commentator and co-commentator for every U.S. game. So he's going to be there calling uh, as an analyst, a co-commentator for that USA-Wales game, USA-England, USA against Iran, and the former MLS coach. Um, it'll be interesting to see what his take is. So so that that's that's definitely something to keep an eye out for. And then for that, you've got uh, Carl uh, has got the full schedule of that at worldsoccertalk.com. Move- Chris, something I thought Go ahead. was interesting, I was just to ask you about this, is uh, Telemundo, I was putting that together, they had a lot of three-man booths, and I remember working, or I covered the uh, U.S. Open Cup final, and they had a four-man booth. How, how much of an impact do you think a three-man booth makes? I know Fox has, uh, they're all doing it in pairs. Uh, whether it be, for example, Ian Dark and Landon Donovan. But like I said, Telemundo, for the most part, especially in the group stage, they have uh, three people in the booth. What kind of impact do you think that has on their their broadcasts of games? Yeah, I think for that audience, it's something that they're used to. So the the Hispanic audience is used to having a three-man booth, and it's sometimes someone colorful as that third person. And um, so, but I mean... Historically speaking, if you go back to English language broadcasts I and mean, commentaries of games from the, I mean, the 80s onwards, oftentimes it would be a solo commentator. It would just be one guy calling, calling the game and that was it. And then it evolved into you know, a co-commentator giving analysis and then the, the lead commentator. And then Fox now and again does kind of experiment by having that third person, but from what I find oftentimes is that they're not really adding that much value. You I mean, it, it's, it's like, why, why have three people when two people can do the job uh, just, just fine. Um, but from time to time, I think they've had like Fox has had Landon, Landon Donovan be that third person. Sometimes they've tried that. And what it ends up being is that uh, it's a lot more talkative. So a lot more, you I mean, kind of just talking through the game, which is just distracting. However, for the Spanish language audience and for Telemundo, Univision does this a lot too in terms of having uh, like kind of three people, sometimes even four people, I think sometimes, but like a lot of people on set chiming in, giving their input. So um, personally, I'm, I'm not a big fan of it, but uh, maybe for the Spanish language, language audience, it's something more traditional, something that, that they're used to, and it feels probably completely natural and, and, and fine. All right, let's move on to listener mailbag. First up is Ryan. Ryan wants to talk to us about the Bundesliga. He says, uh, the Bundesliga is rapidly becoming a big favorite of mine. The games are always fun. Uh, The crowd is loud and into every moment that happens on the pitch. Uh, Union Berlin uh, could be the best story going on in European soccer, um, especially with that dramatic comeback win against Borussia Mönchengladbach in stoppage time. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you think if ESPN gave them a chance on TV or another network gave the Bundesliga the same opportunity that NBC gave the Premier League that they could have the same success? The atmosphere in the games are something really special. And this league, I think, is a goldmine for ESPN, or if another network in two years gave them a proper chance. What do you think, Kyle? What's your thoughts on the Bundesliga? And, and, and can it be kind of on the same success level as, as other leagues? I think it'll be hard to rival the Premier League in particular. Um, just by my understanding, I always thought the Bundesliga um, was probably the second most followed domestic league in Europe. Obviously, I'm a Barcelona fan, so I watch more La Liga by that just just you know being a Barcelona fan than I do the Bundesliga. But I think Ryan's spot on. If you watch the Bundesliga, it is straight up entertaining. And I like what he said about the fans because for me, they do add a lot. And I think fans in the Bundesliga are really unlike a lot of other fans. And you can make the case that Serie A can have that, uh, make that case as well. But... Um, To answer your question, no, I don't really see a way that the Bundesliga can compete with the Premier League in particular. Obviously, uh, NBC does a great job with their coverage of the Premier League, so if they had that same kind of funding, same kind of opportunity, then maybe. But like I said, I just don't see a way that I think the Premier League is just so big and so popular over here. It'd be hard for any league to compete with them. Yeah, this uh, it's a good question because it, this came up, I think, this past week where the uh, the DFL, which is the German Football League, were talking about whether or not they would, in the future, uh, change the kickoff times of games. So whether they would look at, say, um, other leagues, such as you know, La Liga, uh, as an example, where it's pretty rare that you have uh, two games hap- happening concurrently. Usually you have the early kickoff, you have the, the you mean kind of the, the mid-afternoon kickoff and uh, mid-evening kickoff and the late kickoff. And, and so you don't have a lot of game uh, times where you have like, t- like maybe two games or three games playing at the same time. Now, the Premier League has moved a little bit, uh, having a similar model too, Uh, not as as extreme as La Liga, but La Liga went ahead and actually used a a supercomputer that analyzed all of the the TV ratings numbers and the games and the kickoff times and the time of the year. And, and supposedly, according to La Liga, they put, 
each season they put together the schedule they basic base it on what's going to be the best for um for the league so it could be how many people tuning in and which games are the best times to have those games etc etc now the bundesliga i mean yeah i agree the bundesliga is a great league it's um probably my second favorite league or maybe my third favorite league uh, my second favorite is probably the championship because my team's in it, so I, I'm, I'm watching it each week. But the Bundesliga, there's nothing wrong with it, right? Other than, other than the Bayern factor, if you didn't have the Bayern Munich factor, this would be a completely different story. But the Bayern Munich factor is a major factor, and that's what really kind of, um, I think, hurts the league overall and hurts globally the league. So it's good to have big super teams but when you have a big super team that monopolizes the league season after season after season after season, it gets very predictable. So, um, and even with the Premier League, that's been one of the arguments about the Premier League is that it's very predictable. But then you still get a bunch of different teams winning the league um, you mean, in a decade. It's not the same team every single season. But going back to Ryan's point, I think in many ways, I, I think the answer is no. And the reason why is because we've, we've had this. The Bundesliga had a deal with uh, Fox Sports where they had games on FS1, FS2. They had games on Broadcast Fox, on, on the Big Fox network. They gave it their all. They, I mean, the Bundesliga gave it their all. They had you mean, fantastic exposure. This is a great league still then, as it is now. And uh, I would say, I wouldn't say it failed, it did definitely not on the same level as as the Premier League, it, kind of in, in comparison at the same time with uh, similar airtimes of games on, which would have been NBCSN or, or the, the NBC network. So so I think in many ways, Ryan, I, th- I think to me it personally, ESPN Plus is a perfect home for the Bundesliga because you can watch all the games. There's no issues. You can watch, um, if you have the multi-view or multicast, you can watch up to four games at once. And that's the thing with the Bundesliga. Going back to what the DFL was saying about uh, having the the fixtures, the DFL this past week said, we are not going to change the fixtures. We're not going to change the way that the games are played or the time of the day that games are played. And Germany is a very, you mean, very, I was, I was going to say stubborn, but but very focused on the fans. And is not going to change things because of TV audiences. They, they're going to, if they're going to change things, it's because of the fans, because the fans want it. And most of the games kick off at 9.30 a.m. Eastern time on a Saturday. You might have like six different games happening at that time. And that's hard if you're wanting to be a bro- TV broadcaster uh, and to broadcast the Bundesliga where you want to show, you want to highlight the one big game at, in that 9.30 to 11.30 Eastern time slot. You don't want to have your audience to be split six ways because they're watching six different games from the Bundesliga. You just want that one. So yeah, so I, I think um, they've had the chance. It wasn't a success. And ESPN Plus, I think, I think is fine. And actually the, the agreement they have with ESPN Plus is through until the end of the 2026. So the 2025-26 season. So timing-wise it's going to be right before the World Cup. So maybe that's a good opportunity at that point uh, to do a deal where it's it's split. Maybe it's TV and streaming at that time. Okay, next up, ESPN FC. Portuguese wants to talk about ESPN FC. 
Portuguese says uh, Kartik recently said he watches ESPN FC for intelligent soccer analysis. That is like someone saying they watch The View for intelligent political analysis. When Benfica, Sporting, or Porto beat uh, Juventus, Spurs, or any other big club in Europe, the analysis never focuses on what the smaller clubs got right in the Champions League countries, uh, such as uh, Portugal, Belgium, or, or the Netherlands. But rather than rather what went wrong with the big clubs on that second particular day on that on that day, no analysis or even or even acknowledging the better team. And then uh, he goes on to say the only person on that show that gives sober, thoughtful opinions is Gab Marcotti. The rest of the lot sound like a bunch of fanboys sitting around the bar spouting the same rhetoric, especially the two Scotsmen who repeat their points multiple times in the span of one minute. An old man um, moved to make them sound smart. So I think I think in many ways I, I enjoy ESPN FC when I watch it. And for me, it's um, entertaining. It, it's lighthearted. That's probably the best description for it. I'm, I'm not going there for kind of intelligent soccer analysis, although I will get it from time to time. But I'm going there for kind of lighthearted entertainment and soccer news and clips. Um, Kartik probably disagrees with me on this one in terms of he's going there for the intelligent soccer analysis. But that's because he probably watches it on a daily basis where I, I'll watch it now and again. But going to Portuguese's point, yeah, I get, I get it. I mean, these analysts—it's it, so difficult, right? There's so many games on from around the world. So uh, on any given weekend, or even even a Saturday, a Saturday as one example. And a Saturday, sometimes there's more than seventy-five games happening on on a typical Saturday. And if you're on a show where you're expected to talk about. I mean, it could be, I don't know, 10 different leagues. It's impossible to watch all of those. And the, the natural inclination is to watch the leagues uh, that are the most popular or have the biggest teams. So I don't think that the ESPN FC crew, um, or myself, to be to be honest, is watching the Portuguese Primera, uh, Primera Liga, uh, all those games week in, week out. Week out. I will watch a game now and again. I'll watch a Porto game or a Benfica game or whatever it may be. So for a lot of these analysts, um, their knowledge of the Portuguese teams or could be other smaller country teams in terms of um, throughout Europe usually comes down to the Champions League. And you mean the, the knowledge that they have, some more than others, is not going to be encyclopedic. Uh, if you if you're looking for that in terms of Portuguese analysis, then it's probably better to watch a show that focuses specifically on Portuguese football. Uh, Don has a question, and this is the one that we talked about in the opening of the show, talking about managing playing time before the World Cup. Don says one question no one is asking in terms of the World Cup schedule and the European schedules is what will coaches do with critical players. Could we see top England players sit or just play the first half? On the other side, we see coaches make American players play all 90 minutes in that final match before the World Cup. Take Chelsea, for example. Would they sit Mason Mount and make Christian Pulisic play all 90 minutes? If so, who would be responsible, uh, the current club coach or the World Cup coach, for making sure the World Cup players are not overplayed in the final match before the World Cup starts? (laughs) <laughs> Some great questions in there. Kyle, what, what do you think? 
I think the World Cup coach, the World Cup coach, is at the mercy of the the current like the the club coach. And I think the best example is we ran a story here at World Soccer Talk about how Argentina reached out to the Premier League and said, "Hey, can we get our players uh, about a week early so we can make sure they're healthy, make sure they're starting to flow with the national team?" And the Premier League said, "No." It's not the Premier League nor is it the club's responsibility to make sure that these players are playing at tip-top shape, top form for the World Cup. They only care about what is happening at that club. So for me, answering your question, Don, if it were me, I would say Graham Potter will probably, if he makes his choice to, to bench Mason Mount just so we play for the World Cup, then that's probably the wrong decision in my book. I think that if he was doing the best thing for what he thought was the best for his club, Chelsea, he would do what he's been doing since he got there, which is play Mason Mount, have Christian Pulisic, generally speaking, come off the bench, maybe make a start here and there. There are, I think, two or three games left for Chelsea. Um, but it's not Graham Potter's responsibility to make sure that Mason Mount is ready and fit for the World Cup. He's just there to get wins for Chelsea, and he's not make, he's not there to make sure Christian Pulisic is in top form for the United States. That's not his responsibility. His responsibility is all dictated around Chelsea. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's there's no agenda out there. It's not like uh, Graham Potter as one uh, example is like uh, so English that he's going to say, hey, I'm going to play, play uh, Pulisic all 90 minutes and, and maybe he'll get injured. Who knows? Maybe they'll get worn out. <laughs> you know, I mean, just, just because uh, that'll help England uh, in that game against the United States. Um and, and same thing with Mason Mount. He's not going to say, "Okay, let me just give him limited playing time." However, however, there could be. I mean, if if you're a player, though, uh, in your mind, you must be thinking going into that final weekend, and say you're you're Messi, or say you're Mason Mount, or say you're Christian Pulisic, and you're starting that game, and you know how intense even soccer games are, how physical they are, how demanding they are. Are you going to give it 100% knowing that there's a possibility that you might get injured if you if you go at that 100%? Yeah, I uh, I don't think there's any way that you can go in there with the mentality that you're really going to give your all. I think that's something that, for example, uh, Rafael Varane was doing at Manchester United. He finally found form under Eric Ten Hag. He was doing great. Uh, he's here about a month away from the World Cup, picks up an injury, and now he looks doubtful. So I think players look at Varane as an example, and they say, well, if I go out there and try as hard as I've been trying for the beginning three months of the season, then I might miss out on my one chance to play at the World Cup. And you think of someone like Virgil van Dijk, who's had injury uh, injury history in the past and failed to qualify for the World Cup of 2018. There's a real possibility that this is his only chance to play at the World Cup. So does he go out there for Jurgen Klopp and play his best? Or does he actually approach Jurgen Klopp and say, hey, you know, I think I know we're trailing on points, but can I get a little bit of breather here just to make sure I'm fit for the World Cup? I think there's a lot of considerations to have, both for player and coach and international coach for that matter, about uh, what these players are able to do and what they want to do, what maybe they should do at the club level. Yeah, it's hard though too because it's so competitive at the club level that if a player doesn't give it that hundred percent or has that conversation with the coach to say, "Hey, like, do you mind if I, you know, I mean, don't play ninety minutes next week just because it's the last game? I don't want to get injured." I mean, how does that ref- it, it depends with the coach. How does that reflect on the coach um, or the team where the player does that? And and I'm sure what, that's what they're thinking behind the the scenes. Um, there may be some conversations happening behind the scenes where with coaches, they're a little bit more open-minded that may be thinking, okay, hey, we're rotating the squad anyway. It's a long season. Um, 
you mean is there a way to kind of work with you to kind of you mean keep us uh you mean winning games but also not because the last thing that the club managers want also uh Kyle is that you mean so these players get fit for the World Cup they're ready for the World Cup they go to the World Cup they get injured they come back and it's club season again and these players are out for you mean a couple of months and that that impacts their season so I guess it goes both ways right I mean at the end of the World Cup it'd be the same thing with uh you mean the Mason Mount Christian Pulisic examples where maybe the the uh the coaches I mean in Don's question I mean I mean is is are things done purposely to to hurt particular teams and I I don't think so. I mean, it's one of those things that um, me personally, I think players going are going to go out, give it one hundred percent, give it their all, not think about injuries, um, and then when the game's over, and then move on to to concentrate on on the national team. Um, that that's my that's why I hope will happen. I think, um, and I don't think there's going to be too many players asking for time off or I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll see. It, it depends on the players too. Yeah, it's also interesting just because uh, if it is like a fringe player for club or country, look at Pulisic, for example, not getting the starting time he thinks he deserves at Chelsea. He's not going to, you know, pull up in his attempts at Chelsea. He's going to take every opportunity he gets to go out there and prove himself to Graham Potter. The same thing applies to the national level, like you just mentioned. If someone's, you know, just on the outside of starting for their uh, their national team, they're not going to pass up an opportunity to make a difference at the World Cup. They're going to go out there and give it the ball, even though they might be a major player at their own club. So, yeah, like you say, there's a, it depends on the player and it depends on the situation. There's, there is a lot to take in, into consideration here. Yeah, if you look at uh, Lionel Messi, to me, Leon- Lionel Messi would prioritize Argentina over PSG. I mean, he's yes, he wants he, he wants to win with PSG, he wants to win the the the, the Champions League, wants to do well, uh, get trophies. But to him, Argentina is everything, and this is his last chance to go out and to try to win that World Cup and 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 take that uh, that trophy home to to Argentina. So. It's got to be playing in their minds for sure, and I mean, for some players, I'm not saying Messi, but for some players, would they try to? I don't know, fake injury. I don't think so. I, I hope not, but there might be some players that it go that the thought gets into their, their minds, thinking, okay, hey, what can I do to make sure I don't play in that last game because I want to be safe. I, w- I want to be on that team. Ah, oh. and that's the other thing too. The squads will be announced beforehand. Uh, before those final games, so they'll know that they're in the team. And like we said, that November thirteenth is kind of like the final day where FIFA gets says, "Hey, send us any re- revisions, or you know, this is your final final squad um, on that thirteenth, and that's it. Nobody, nobody else can be uh, added." All right, let's move on to talking about CBS's uh, soccer coverage that we talked about last week on last week's podcast. Uh, Dave says. I find the Golasso show on Paramount Plus to be a nice mix of fun. Uh, the UEFA Europa League leans a, li- a bit more this way and professional. The Champions League leans a bit more this way. The Brooklyn post game struck me as unprofessional and, and, and uh, embarrassing. Kate is the host and she and the executive producer should be in control. Control was lost repeatedly, which reflects poorly on Kate the executive producer, and several of the panel members. Hopefully they get back on track soon. Uh, It was a fun watch in the past. 
Kyle says uh, for the Champions League, this is a different Kyle. Kyle says for the, for the Champions League broadcast, I can't even bother to watch any sort of coverage. It's hard to take any of them seriously when they are trying to go for funny moments and trying way too hard to be entertaining, especially uh, Micah Richards. He seems like he's trying to audition for a TV character role rather than being a professional uh, analyst or pundit. Jamie Carragher normally does a solid job on Sky Sports with Gary Neville, but it seems like he is the opposite on CBS. Thierry Henry is at least respectable with his analysis and professionalism, but even Kate Abdo does not do a good job as a host. And while they were in Brooklyn, why not bring in a Clint Dempsey? You're in America, not even using an American analyst uh, who you've brought into London. These next eight years will be brutal under CBS. And just to clarify there too, uh, Clint was there. I mean, he was part of the broadcast, um, I, th- I think on both days, definitely on the Tuesday. So they kind of interchanged uh, throughout the, the, the day. There's a lot of coverage on that Tuesday and the Wednesday. I would say, which is interesting, I think, about CBS's sports' coverage of the Champions League is if you follow CBS Sports Golasso on social media, they clip they basically produce so many clips from the shows i mean talking points laughing joking around stuff like that and post that to social media i mean so many and, and so even if you don't watch the show you can watch social media social media you'll see most of the, the highlights of what they talked about but the second thing is is that what, what i find interesting is that this is a u.s broadcast of soccer with some big names i mean big analyst names however it's amazing how much of the British press reports about this. So the Daily Mail, as one example, uh, every week, every Tuesday and Wednesday, we'll have stories about, oh, my gosh, I can't believe what uh, Jamie Carragher did on, on set or what, what Peter Schmeichel did or, or Micah Richards or Kate Abdo or so on and so forth. So I find it's interesting that the UK press is talking more about the show, uh, I mean, in print and online than, than the US is. However, at the end of the day, I think I think they're playing to that a little bit. So when they're being funny and going a bit too far sometimes, they're they're doing it because I, I think personally, I mean they want to be entertaining, yes, definitely. They want to be different. Uh however, I think in the back of their minds they're thinking, okay, like, hey, what can we do that social media is gonna be really social social media savvy or friendly? And also what can we do that maybe the Daily Mail will pick up on and, and write about us and talk about how great we are? So it, it's a weird dynamic, and it's something that we've really never seen before on soccer coverage, where so much of the focus is on what they're doing, not so much the analysis. And the analysis is there from time to time, you mean, but you have to watch it for, you mean, it, it, it comes, comes and goes. So it is an interesting watch, but it's not perfect by any means. And, and I think they, 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 they can do better. However, it's it's difficult. It's it's not easy. So because because they're not for the, if they went back to being more analysis, uh, it'd be such a different show than what it is now. It'd be kind of a little bit I wouldn't say boring, but it'd be it'd be different. It would be more like Sky Sports, but they're trying to create their own niche, and in doing so, they're making lots of mistakes at the same time. All right, next up is Chris. Chris wants to talk about a different Chris, by the way. Uh, talk about uh, NWSL. And uh, this is the last comment from the list of the mailbag. Chris says, over the past year, I have followed the NWSL 
more closely thanks in large part to having a team in Seattle uh, in the uh, Olympic Lyonnais rain. The quality of play is very high, and it's great to see attendance go up, especially in Seattle, San Diego, L.A., and Portland. Also, the league does a great job when it comes to uh, its broadcasts, especially on over-the-air CBS. However, on a darker note, it is appalling that the league is basically doing nothing uh, when it comes to addressing the patterns of abuse among several coaches in the league and refuse to listen to the victims' stories. With all this in mind, I have a question about the NWSL TV rights going into 2023. My question is, does, this abusive, uh, does, does the abuse scandal make CBS and other potential broadcasters more hesitant to do a deal with the NWSL? Carl, what do you think about this one? Well, you'll have better expertise on the uh, the actual deals with the with NWSL. I do agree with Chris, though. I I think it's shocking that the the um, the amount of coverage regarding all the uh, the abuses has kind of been swept under the rug. But I guess that's kind of a microcosm for what was happening with it to begin with, and how uh, owners and coaches, which kind of you know, it's kind of okay. That's in the past now, but thank goodness uh, that Sally Yates report came out and exposed all of that because. I think uh, it's something that definitely has to be addressed, and I think CBS should do a better job of doing that. Um, I do think it's also important to note that it's great that uh, NWSL set a new record in terms of its uh, viewership for their most recent final. I think it was, the number was uh, 900,000, 950,000, somewhere around there for the, mm-hmm. the viewership in that final. So that's a, that's great to hear, especially compared to, to uh, Major League Soccer's viewership, which is also in its uh, playoff stage right now. But uh, like I said, Chris, you'll have better expertise than me in terms of how the uh, the abuse scandals and things like that can affect a, a future deal between NWSL and CBS or any other broadcaster for that matter. Yeah, it's it's a strange thing because I don't think it's going to impact um, the, the TV side of things. I mean, in, in some ways it should. It should be something where this abuse was so horrific, had been going on for so long um, that you would think it would scare both sponsors and broadcasters away however the reality is is the women's game is growing rapidly and will continue to grow um and i think there's a way for whether it's cbs sports which is most most likely or a different broadcaster to go ahead and still broadcast the league but maybe to go ahead and um talk about these things i mean to be transparent to not hide away from it and I think, if anything, if the the more of the concern or the issues in regards to the scandal, it's almost like club specific. So if I'm Portland Thorns, you mean, and I'm in that area, and I'm a either a broadcaster, like a, I don't know, a radio broadcaster, or a sponsor on a, on a club basis specifically in that area, I think there would be major concerns. And you can go down the list of all the other clubs that were affected that did a poor job um, of these of kind of dealing with these scandals. Um, so I think it's limited. I, I don't think it's on a, a national scale in terms of damaging the um, kind of sponsorship levels or the TV broadcast opportunity levels. Um, I think it's going to be on, in each specific different city dealing with those issues. But yeah, so I, I think to me it's. Um, I mean, steps are being done to make sure that these things don't happen again and that they're setting up ta- task forces, etc. Um, there's still going to be, I'm sure, a lot of um, 
negative stuff coming out about this. So I think it needs to be a broadcaster. And CBS Sports, I think, would be a good one in terms of this, in terms of extending that relationship with with the NWSL and and being transparent and talking about these things and um, and growing as as a league, growing with um, as a soccer broadcaster and growing with uh, the women's soccer league too. All right, listeners, uh, thank you for your time. If you have any questions for us, any feedback, any rants or raves, uh, or if you want to go ahead and uh, talk to us about the World Cup or um, anything in regards to the uh, television side or the streaming side of soccer coverage, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We have a new way for you to get involved in the listener mailbag. You can call us and leave us a voicemail, and we'll play it in a future episode. Uh, to leave an audio listener comment for us uh, that we'll play in the, in the mailbag, you just need to call this phone number and then just leave a voicemail. It'll go straight to voicemail. And that number is 561-247-4625. Also, uh, you can get in touch with us uh, via email. Uh, the email address is web at worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, there's Facebook. It's facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. You can send us a message there. Uh, this website, of course, worldsoccertalk.com, uh, in the podcast thread. Just leave a, a comment in the latest episode. And then, uh, oh, Twitter. Twitter is at worldsoccertalk. Um, so a bunch of different ways for you, for you to get in touch with us. Kyle, so where can they reach out to you if they want to uh, follow you on Twitter or uh, read about University of Florida Gators football or uh, Barcelona or, or whatever else you may be uh, tweeting about? Well, I'm not sure anybody wants to hear about the way Barcelona season's gone or Florida football's gone, for that matter. It's been a rough, it's been a rough couple of months as a as a sports fan, I'll be honest. But I encourage you all to uh, follow me. Uh, mostly, it's about Barcelona stories, and that's uh, at Kyle Fansler, U F K Y L E F A N S L E R U F on Twitter. Um, just my first name, my last name, U F. So appreciate any follows that come my way, and hope to actually uh, exchange some conversations with all of you. Yeah, and then next week we'll be back. We're going to do next week a uh, an in-depth preview of all the different uh, television and streaming options to watch the World Cup. And in addition to talking about the World Cup coverage, uh, what to expect on the different channels available uh, to us in the United States as we get into closer and closer to Qatar 2022. And on behalf of Kyle and I, we want to thank you for listening to the show. You can always get it uh, on podcast uh, players, usually every Thursday or Friday. And uh, if you do have any feedback, feedback for us, or if you'd like to post a review on iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, or elsewhere, we'd greatly appreciate it. And uh, enjoy your football. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 